Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Meister. All right, man. We are almost to the close of the season. We have the injury bug that continues to plague the league. We'll talk about the Nets, who have not looked so great as of late, as well as the Lakers, who we've talked for the last couple of weeks, who also don't look so great. Talk about the championship favorites, and then we will do everyone's favorite segment, Plead Their Case. But starting with Russell Westbrook passes Oscar Robertson as the number one for triple-double leader with his 182nd yesterday against the Hawks. Let's talk about his play as of late, his performance that has caught up this year, and really how historic of an accomplishment this really is. I mean, I think it's really incredible what he's been able to do. To put it in perspective, I mean, averaging a triple-double is hard to do just in a video game. This guy has legitimately been able to do it already on three separate occasions, actually four separate seasons. If you uh, include this one, which he's surely going to finish with the average again, he's averaged the triple-double four times now which is incredible to do that for a whole season, especially from a 6'4 point guard. It's really just criminally underrated how talented Russell Westbrook is because everyone always has something to say as a disclaimer for his numbers. Like if he gets really high assist numbers, they're saying that he only passes when it's convenient for him to get an assist, that he's not otherwise a good distributor that he's not really a good rebounder. It's really just a scheme. And his coaches um, basically scheme up and tell people to let him get the rebound so that he can immediately start taking it off in transition. Um, People always try to say something to take away from his stats. He hasn't won a championship, et cetera, et cetera. But again, if it was this easy to just scheme it up or to just do it via stat chasing, there would be somebody else who would have been able to do this by now. And there hasn't. So I think in my mind, he definitely goes down as a top five point guard of all time, even if he never wins a ring. I think at this point, he's obviously going to be a Hall of Famer, but I'd say that he's a top five point guard of all time. It's just really unfortunate that um, he hasn't really been able to do it on the biggest stage, but you can't take away from what he's been able to do in his career. Well, he did do it on the biggest stage once, but didn't make it there, uh, make it past the heat that year. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he will go down as a top five point guard of all time. He will definitely go down. I think as a top two, maybe even the number one of just all around player, um, being able to crash the boards, give out the assists and, uh, improve his jump shot over the course of his career. And you also have to think he's been in the league now for, uh, 13 seasons. Oscar Robertson did this in 14 seasons. So he's going to put a once thought of untouchable record, even more so way out of reach for anybody. And if you think about last year, him being in Houston with the James Harden experiment, again, he played fewer games overall than any of the other seasons that he's played in uh, with the exception of 2013, 2014. But he also averaged seven assists last season, which seems to be an anomaly compared to from 2015 onward, he's averaged over 10 assists a a game. So I think the James Harden experiment took away from him potentially being able to do this even sooner this year, or maybe last year, depending on if COVID didn't happen. So I think it's been an an extremely impressive feat. And I think that as he gets older and his athleticism continues to wean his passing ability and need to have uh, 
like a better jump shot is going to be that much more important. So I foresee him continuing to get at least double doubles, but potentially triple doubles for the next couple of seasons as well. Yeah, it's been a joy to watch. Definitely a lot of all-time greats have been putting up historic performances this season. So it's honestly a treat to be able to see a guy like Westbrook um, towards the end of his prime now still being able to perform at a high level like this. I agree. But moving on to a young star who had a historic performance for himself this season, Jalen Brown is now out for the rest of the season with a wrist uh, injury. This happened during, I believe, the collision between him and Jason Tatum. So the Celtics, they've been reeling uh, as of late. They lost to the Heat recently. They'll play them again tonight, and I foresee them also losing again. Um, They're in the play-in spot, and they're missing arguably their best player of the season, um, with the exception of Jason Tatum for a few games there. So I think this is going to destroy their playoff chances overall. Um, I didn't really see them as a contender this year going in, but now this hurts them even more. So how do you think this impacts them going forward? I mean, this is devastating for them. They were a team that already was pretty thin depth-wise. They relied entirely on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to carry their offense. They are their whole offense. And Jalen Brown, even more so than Jason Tatum, is probably the most important piece they have on that team from a defensive standpoint. He's able to switch and guard multiple positions. He's able to be vocal and get other players in their position where they're supposed to be. He's really the leader of the team on defense. Um, Aside from Marcus Smart, who is extremely vocal as well, Um, I think that he really is the most important aspect of their defense, though, because Marcus Smart doesn't have the ability to go and guard larger wing players the way that Jalen Brown does. So taking Jalen Brown out of the equation is going to put an even bigger workload on Jason Tatum, who's now going to be tasked with not only providing the majority of the offense for the team, but also guarding the other team's best perimeter player um, probably most of the time, given as a lot of times the other team's best player is usually a forward or a shooting guard, six, five or above. So um, I think that it's going to be just too much of a workload for Jason Tatum to be tasked with being able to lock down the other team's best wing. And then at the same time, get this team enough points on offense. I just really think that it's unfortunate for them and they literally cannot stay out of their own way. That's been the story of the Celtics all year. They can't stay out of their own way. It seems like they have a pretty talented roster, but a lot of it is self-inflicted, including this. I mean, super random. He just collides with Jason Tatum. Not really anything you can say about it. It's just a freak accident. And it just seems like everything this year, if it could have gone wrong for the Celtics, it did. Yeah, and I think if the season ends today, they're going to lose to the Hornets in their play-in game. Hornets are going to take the seventh spot and then the Wizards beat the Pacers for the ninth spot. And then it's a battle between the Celtics and the Wizards. And I think the person we just talked about, Russell Westbrook, gets the Wizards into the playoffs. So that'll be fun to see. Yeah, but we we will see what actually happens as we have about four or five games here to close out the season. Speaking of the last couple of games, the Nets have finally started to lose a bit. Finally being, they've pretty much not had their big three play together with the exception of seven games. So they've lost four of their last five, twice against the East rival and 
playoff slash championship contender Bucks. Harden has not played since April 5th in a four minute setback. He has pushed his timeline even further. Um, and they're really losing that grip on the number two seed right now. They're down a game uh, to the Bucks, who they just lost to. You think they have anything to worry about or is all well over in Brooklyn? Um, I think that there might be a little bit of cause for concern, not so much because of the losing four of their last five games, but because of how they've lost those games. They pretty much went into that matchup with the Milwaukee Bucks, knowing full well that that's a measuring stick game. That's the team that's directly behind them. They're only one game behind. They very realistically could jump in front of them and take that two spot from them. And they know that there's a good chance they may see them in the playoffs. They have one of the um, former reigning MVPs, Giannis Antetokounmpo, on that team, which is a big matchup for Kevin Durant, seeing as they're always compared to one another. And what's concerning is that Kevin Durant and the Nuts go against the Bucks. They lose both those games despite having monster performances from Kevin Durant. It's not like Durant is playing poorly. He dropped 42 and lost against the Bucks the first time, then came back and dropped 32 and lost again. And um, that's kind of concerning because you're essentially getting a great game from your best player with somewhat decent support from Kyrie Irving, and you're still losing. So that makes you a little concerned for a matchup with the Bucks in the playoffs. Is it something that's matchup related? Is it something that maybe is going on defensively? Are they not able to defend well enough against teams that are dominant inside? So some warts are being exposed. I think that when James Harden comes back, um, a lot of it will be alleviated because teams will have that much more to game plan for and worry about. Um, but again, it seems like one of the main issues has been allowing a ton of points. They've been allowing over 110 points per game for seemingly all five of their last games. So it doesn't matter if you can score a ton. If you can't stop the team, you're not going to be able to win. So I think that um, if you're Steve Nash, you're not really scared, but this is probably something that you don't want to develop um, into a habit where teams are consistently getting into shootouts with you and you're hoping that Kevin Durant can outscore them um, until the bell rings. Yeah, I mean, on that scoring piece, uh, Kevin Durant uh, cannot, like you said, only do so much. They are third in the East in terms of uh, points allowed. So they've allowed the third most points um, behind the Wizards and Pacers with 114 points per game. And like you said, the last couple of games, their trend has been to allow a lot of points, which then requires them to uh, eventually play catch up or puts the onus on them for developing that offense. So I know with the entire coaching staff over in Brooklyn, having D'Antoni, having uh, Steve Nash, having Stoudemire and that whole seven second offense from the Phoenix Suns, they're not going to be focused on defense. However, to your point, you have uh, teams like the Knicks and the Heat who've allowed 105 and 107 points respectively for the fewest amount of points per game in the East. Um, and then on the flip side with the Western Conference, the some of the top teams over there, the Jazz, the Clippers, the Lakers, they've all allowed under 107, 100, 
eight points as well. So if you have teams that are going to clamp down on you on defense and you can't stop them, it's going to spell trouble potentially for them in the playoffs. Yeah. And then um, one more thing about them. You also have to give credit to the Bucks where it's due as much as the Nets lost those games, the Bucks did win them. Giannis Antetokounmpo had monster performances in both of those games, especially knowing what's on the line. It's a measuring stick game. You want to essentially simulate what it may be like in the playoffs. And he comes up with 36 points and 49 points. I mean, what's pretty impressive to me too is the fact that even though it hasn't been elite shooting percentages, he did knock down four three-pointers in both of those games because teams are essentially going to give him that shot every time. He's too dominant inside to not sell out and just give him the three-point shot, especially when he doesn't really hit it at a high clip. But I think that if he can just hit the three-pointer at a just average level, the way that he has these last couple of games hovering around 35% or so, that could make the Bucks really, really dangerous because even if he's hitting only 35 to 36% of those threes, you're going to have to start going out there a little bit to defend that. So um, as much as the Nets have to figure out their defense, the Bucks have to be encouraged by Giannis Antetokounmpo showing up when it matters most and not being scared to knock down that shot when they give it to him. Yeah. I, I agree. I think the Bucs uh, are doing well to close out and could potentially earn the number two seed given their uh, couple of wins over the Nets here. But moving on to a team in the West that we continue to talk about their perils. Los Angeles Lakers have continued to lose, actually winning um, their most recent game. But LeBron is still out today. He will return tomorrow against the Rockets. They seem to be pretty locked into the seventh spot and will face the Golden State Warriors irrespective of if the Warriors were to pass them for any reason to that seventh spot. But is there continued cause for concern with the Lakers? And how far do you predict them to go this postseason? There is, I've said it, I mean, all season that this was going to play out this way, but here we are. I mean, I've been saying for like over a month, they're probably going to be in the play-in, but I think that the problems just go a little bit deeper than, hey, we just got LeBron back and then everything is good to go. As we've been seeing, the mesh between Andre Drummond and Anthony Davis does not work. That's a terrible dynamic to have those two players together in the front court and having LeBron just compounds the problem because they're all three guys who ideally want to be in the paint. And when you have Davis and LeBron only, it's fine because Davis is a good enough mid-range shooter and LeBron is a respectable enough outside shooter that they still get solid spacing, especially when surrounded by other floor spacers and shooters. But when you have a guy like Drummond out there who eats a ton of space and has absolutely no gravity um, outside of the paint, he really does throw a wrench in what they can do offensively when teams can easily just sell out to essentially give Drummond an open jumper if they can or if, if, they, if it's available. And if you're Anthony Davis or LeBron, if Drummond is constantly camping out in the paint, that means that his defender, the opposing team's big man, is going to be there too. So you're going to basically be getting contested looks at the rim every time. So we've already started to see it. But if you look at the minutes, they've already started reducing Andre Drummond's minutes alongside Anthony Davis 
even though they're still starting him, we are starting to see what I explained earlier, the coach basically acknowledging that the offense with them together does not work. In their most recent win, the Lakers had to drop Andre Drummond's minutes to 20 minutes, which was the fewest of all starters on the team. Um, Anthony Davis conversely playing 41. No other starter played less than 32 minutes. Why? Because it doesn't work. He only had six points. Um, he was two of seven shooting. Just was pretty ineffective, even in a win. And Anthony Davis had to go to go for 42 points to get it. So if the Lakers have to count on Anthony Davis to pull out 40 every game to be able to do it, I don't think it's going to work. LeBron, you heard him himself. He's never going to be the same again. So I don't think him coming back is going to be enough to get them over the hump. I see them finishing. I think they get out of the play-in tournament, but I think they lose in the first round after that. So that's, that's where I'm calling it for them. Depending on what their matchup is, I'm calling them losing in the first round. Yeah, I think uh, if they end up in seven and they play against the Suns and Chris Paul knocks out LeBron, uh, I don't know if they'll be friends anymore. But There goes the banana boat trips. There goes the banana boat trips. But you have Wade as the Jazz uh, part owner, so – hey, maybe he suits up and hands it to LeBron one more time uh, if they end up in the eighth spot against the Jazz. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on all fronts. I do have an interesting question, though. Where do you think Andre Drummond ends up? Because I don't think he'll be with the Lakers after the season. Definitely not. He's definitely going to be leaving there. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks throw money at him, not because it makes sense, but just because the Knicks seemingly try to throw money at every free agent just because they, they just do. No one ever signs there seemingly, except for Julius Randle, who they got super lucky with. But um, they're probably thinking that if they add one more piece without really considering what piece that may be, that Andre Drummond and Julius Randle can somehow make this team a second round exit rather than a first round exit. But um, it's just strange because the thing is, the best fit for Drummond would have to be a team that has great spacing already. So a team, for example, like the Hawks, but they don't need him. They already have Capella. He needs a situation where there's a team like the Hawks out there who need a defensive presence inside, who already have plenty of shooters and maybe a stretch four to help mitigate his lack of spacing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Chris Stops ex, uh, experiment is not going as planned with the Mavericks, but I could see them potentially throwing a flyer on Drummond. I just see his next deal being a 15 to $20 million one plus one with the second year being a team option. That's the only thing I could see him really getting because I'm sure somebody will offer him like a three or 30 mil, but he'll probably take the one plus one for more guaranteed money up front and like a prove it deal. Yeah, that's how it's shaken out, especially since he hasn't really shown teams much to go off of so far, given his um, recent lack of production. Yeah, well, off of the Lakers, who seemingly don't appear to be playoff contenders, uh, let's talk about championship favorites. Who from either side do you feel as uh, the front runner, or who are you picking to end up making it to the championship? Well, I think that if we're looking at the East, I still have to say it's going to be the Nets if James Harden comes back healthy, just because I find it really hard to believe that a team that has two of 
you can't even argue it. I mean, at the very worst, they are two of the 10 best scorers of all time. Possibly two of the top five scorers of all time. But you can't argue that two of the top 10 of all time. That's for fact. And that's not even including Kyrie Irving, who is the best handles of all time, which not really sure um, handles in and of themselves what that does for winning a championship. But still, he, he can, on any given night, potentially go for 50. So you never know when he might win you a game by himself. You got three guys that on any given night can win you a game by themselves. So if we're just playing random or if we're just playing uh, statistical chance, the odds that all three of those guys are going to let you down is low. I think that if two of those three guys are going off, you probably win. So if they get them healthy, I'm picking the Nets to be able to um, advance out of the East. And if we're looking at the West, I mean, I got to roll with my guy Jokic. This team is the only team that it doesn't seem to matter what you throw at them. They just keep on rolling. They've overcome adversity. They've overcome new additions. They've overcome losses. They've proved it under every kind of situation this year. And if I'm just looking at their roster on paper, their roster is just as talented as anybody else's, even without Jamal Murray. Um, they have just as much talent in their roster as anyone else in the West, especially given the, the injuries. So I'd probably have to roll with them to make it out of the West. All right, that's, I think those are uh, two solid choices. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a step further and just give you, if the playoffs ended today, my breakdown, no play-in, just straight up where, where people are at. I think, uh, I think there's a big surprise in the West and Golden State beats Utah because I've always thought that Utah is an early exit team. So Golden State advances off Curry heroics against Denver. And from that, I think Denver advances to the Western Conference Finals. On the lower bracket on that side, I think the Clippers beat the Trailblazers and continued rumblings happen of CJ McCollum's extended stay in Portland coming to an end. And then I think the Suns take down For the good the of both of those guys, for, for the well-being of both of them, yep. they need to separate them. CJ McCollum could probably do better himself on a different team running the show, not just being like, not poor man's Damian Lillard, but essentially slightly less good Damian Lillard. He basically does the exact same functions and roles on that team, just not as well. I mean, his, his talents would probably be better appreciated on a, on a roster that needs a, a primary offensive playmaker. He could probably switch the point guard for a lot of teams and help a lot of teams out. So hopefully that ends up working out and both those guys could get some wins because they both deserve to be able to advance deeper because they both work so hard. So yep. hopefully one day they'll both find a fit that works. Yep. But on that, uh, with them exiting, I then have the Suns, like I mentioned before, beating the Lakers. And then from that group, I would have the Suns beating the Clippers for a Denver versus Phoenix battle. But I'll move to the East before I get to my finals picks. I have uh, Philly cleaning up the Hornets with a, a nice sweep. The Knicks beating the Hawks, uh, the Heat overcoming the Bucks once again, and then Budenholzer is fired immediately. The Nets sweeping the Celtics, and then the Nets beating the Heat, and the Sixers beating the Knicks for a Sixers-Nets matchup. From that, 
I also, similar to you, would have the Nets coming out on top. And on the west side, I'm just going to be devil's advocate to you and say that the Suns beat uh, the Nuggets. And for the winner, I would think that the Nets would win the whole thing and make the mortgaged future of the Nets be worth the sacrifice. That all comes if with an don't, If they don't win the whole thing, it's going to be a waste for them because these guys are all in their 30s now. They don't have more than, what, two, three years tops? I mean, it all, comes, make it, happen. it all comes with an asterisk because it seems like when Kevin Durant and James Harden step on the floor together, the basketball gods go, no, 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 too good, too good, and tweak one of their hamstrings. So if or any of Kyrie of, Irving get a mood swing. Well, I think he'll stay in for the entirety of the playoffs. I don't think he'll, he'll do anything uh, for the playoffs. But if any of those guys get injured, they have no depth. They clearly have the ability to lose, and they will get demolished by any team that is at full offensive firepower and can clamp down, which is pretty much what Milwaukee and Miami both can do on a good night. So if they don't make it with their full arsenal to the second round, then I see the winner of the Milwaukee-Miami series potentially beating the Nets or taking them to seven games while Philly, I think, will walk over both of their opponents in each round. Agreed. Um, so that that is uh, my selection for that. But we will now move on to everyone's favorite segment, plead their case. I will ask you a series of questions and you will plead their case for why uh, it is uh, why it is. Ready to go? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Kent Bazemore took a playful jab at Sad Brad, saying he needed to tweak his hammy to keep up with Curry's historic scoring pace. Bradley Beal scored 50, and Curry scored 48 to maintain the lead over Sad Brad. Sad Brad had some harsh words to respond and became Mad Brad. Plead <laughs> Mad Brad's case on why he was right in his response. I will say Bradley Beal was very, very aggressive in the response. Um, you probably shouldn't get that affected by a tweet, no matter what. But I do understand kind of where he's coming from, because meanwhile, we've got Cam Bazemore over here, who's averaging seven points, 3.5 rebounds, and 1.6 assists on the year, who is talking crap for no reason. Because you can, you can hype up your teammate without putting down a different player. And to then bring up an injury, it's not like you're even saying that he had a bad game. You're saying that he tweaked his hamstring. So what does that mean? Are you implying that uh, he doesn't want to play? Are you implying that he can't stay healthy? Either way, I think he was implying. I think he was implying that he had to go all out to just keep pace with Curry, who did it in 29 minutes. Oh man. Well, I mean, at that point. Like, he's not good enough to do it in a shorter period of time. Like, per 36, Bradley Beal is not beating Stephen Curry. It's like what yeah, I felt. I understand the frustration on, on Bradley Beal's part because it's coming from Kent Bazemore, um, who has been pretty much a bona fide scrub this year in the NBA in terms of production. His PER is not very good either. Um, he may still miss the playoffs, just like Brad might. So I don't really think that Kent Bazemore is the guy to be talking. Um, if you're going to be throwing out shade at another player, you've got to be able to back it up and you can't just go off of my teammates. Great. You have to talk a game that is 
proportional to how good you are to not look like a fool. Yeah, this gives me, uh, like, earlier this season, Rodney Magruder from the Pistons uh, got really up in arms with Draymond Green. Draymond, after the game, was like, Rodney Magruder? Who, who the hell is Rodney Magruder to be talking to us about anything? Like, why is he even getting mad? I don't even know who that guy is. Um, and so that this gives me similar vibes uh, to what you're saying. Kent Bazemore. Yes, he's on the Warriors. Yes, he's going to back up his his guy. But even if he's kidding, um, he should expect some heat from that player, which clearly Mad Brad gave it to him. But moving on, David Griffin, speaking of harsh words, was fined 50K for criticizing the league and the league's officials due to Zion's injury, saying that the officiating was terrible, saying that basically this whole season was terrible because the league was trying to fit too much in and is causing the injury of players, which is what a lot of people have said as soon as any of their stars like AD, LeBron, Zion to get injured. But plead his case on why Griffin was right. I can understand the frustration uh, to some degree because what he's really implying is that the frustration was not so much about the number of games. He's basically saying that Zion fractured his finger and is now out indefinitely because referees have not been um, calling fouls on him and allowing other teams to basically rough him up and be very physical with him. He claims that other players have gone and told Zion, hey, we're essentially going to smack you and hit you super hard because they're not going to call it anyway. So he got really frustrated because he felt like that fractured finger was the result of basically increased roughhousing on Zion because the referees have essentially allowed it to go on all year long. So um, I can see a little bit why he may be frustrated. Zion does get clobbered a lot when he goes inside. He pretty much gets all of his points at the rim and teams know that. So you would expect a guy like him to go to the free throw line a lot. And he does go a fair amount. He does get 8.7 trips to the free throw line per game, but it's still a little less than what you would expect for a guy who gets the majority of his points in the paint. I don't think anyone gets a higher percentage of their points in the paint than him. So he should be top two or three in free throw attempts per game if we're calling it fair, but he's just so big and strong that I feel like a lot of times the referees don't notice. it. So could be something to do with that. There may be some truth to it. It's just, you can't go out and criticize the refs about it. It's the same thing with a LeBron treatment. LeBron has complained for years that he always gets battered and beaten up inside of the paint and it probably is true but he's not a frail person and he is a linebacker playing a finesse uh, sport and position in the league so I think similarly Zion is also like you said very large very physical and can dominate anybody in the paint so yeah people are going to rough him up and I I'm sure people go in with an added chip on their shoulder to rough him up because they're thinking this guy hasn't done anything, has not won anything. His team has never like been in a winning position. He barely played last year and they, he gets all the marquee games. He gets all the spotlight. And yet my team is always winning each and every year. And I never get that kind of spotlight. So I'm sure there's an added bit of that to it as well with people wanting to roughhouse him a bit and see really what he can do 
uh, when there is that added physicality. But I don't think it's the league's fault. I don't think this is really the official's fault. I just think this is going to be a product of Zion's life in the league because he's a a physical specimen and is going to continue to just dominate everybody in the league. Um, He's a special player, and and that's just how it's going to be. Yep, there's not really – you can't really cry about it. I think he's frustrated because he was uh, hoping – with their recent improved play that maybe he'd sneak into that play in tournament. And now with Zion having to miss indefinitely with that fractured finger, the odds of that are pretty much all but done. So I think he was just letting out frustration, but like you said, it's going to be the nature of the game with him when you have that style of play and that body type. So can't complain about it. Just got to be ready for it and put your players in a position to win. Well, Speaking of players who put other players in an awkward position and roughhouse them a bit, Luka Doncic ejected for hitting Colin Sexton in the groin. Said it wasn't intentional, but if you watch that over and over again, seems that he was very irked by something that Colin Sexton did and took a nice wind-up before punching him in the nether regions. So, plead his case for why he is telling the truth. (laughs) If you see the video, it's uh, it's a little hard to, to prove his case, but I guess you can say that if Luka Doncic is guilty of anything, it's for complaining too much to the referees. Up to this point, we haven't really seen or heard of Luka Doncic making dirty plays intentionally, um, trying to hit a player in sensitive areas or trying to trip anyone up or anything like that. So I don't think that it's too much of a stretch to give him the benefit of the doubt this time. If it was Draymond Green, you'd probably uh, just call him on his BS because he's been known for that kind of stuff. But in a situation like this, I think you give him the benefit of the doubt. He's never really done something like this before, and he hasn't been suspended just yet. He's still sitting on one more technical foul before he gets that suspension. So I think that it was probably just incidental contact. Maybe he meant to uh, flick him and push him off that just happened to be where his groin was even though the video looks like it was pretty deliberate i think you have to give him the benefit of the doubt based on his track record in the league yeah i'd slightly have to agree with you i think if you look at it and think about it obviously when you slow something down in slow-mo it's very easy to say well look it looks like he's going to hit him right there when in reality you could very well have been trying to box him out in that situation and took a step at him and maybe he was aggravated at him. Well, hopefully Luca is found innocent and does not continue uh, to hit people in the groin. But with that, that's the end of our show. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Court is adjourned.